0: Bueller and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio.
1: What's going on? Steelers Nation Radio live from the UP mc rooney sports complex on the south side of pittsburgh pennsylvania it's time for another edition of steelers blitz i got matt williamson of the drive fame with me hey down how here it, man?
2: i'm kind of playing an away game here it's a different different spot different time i'm still gonna be chatting with dale in a couple hours too so Excited about it. Did I'm you get
1: a little? Did you get to hit the cafeteria before you came up here? Yeah,
2: that was a nice little perk. Of course, too. absolutely. Of course. We got a little time in between shows. I'll probably chill out the facility here. I was going to
1: say you and Dale broadcasting from down here today as well. Yeah, but yeah. we go. We are over in the, the other building. Other
2: building. I'm not sure why we change, but whatever. So, so it's a,
1: yeah, it is. It's a it's. It's like a neutral site game for you. Exactly. Uh, surprisingly,
2: <laughs> I don't get to the facility here all that often. I don't come to practice every day. Right. I'm here for the draft and a couple of, you know, events, but OTAs and mini camps. That and things kind of like stuff, that. Yeah. yeah. So it's cool to come. Absolutely.
1: Without a doubt, Matt Williamson Wesley Euler with you here for the next two hours on SNR. You already know the drill. If you want to chime in, you can tweet us at Wesley Euler at Williamson NFL. Matt, four straight wins for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, how about that? How about that winning I, record? Things are uh, – it's, it's a better mood around here on the oh, south I can side. Imagine. I can absolutely <laughs> south imagine. South side lately. Yeah. Um, but four straight wins, five and four, and right back in the thick of things.
2: Yeah, they very much are. And really of that wild card tier in the AFC, yes. I think this is the best team of that group. Um, I don't think they're going to catch the Ravens, but that's you know n- neither here nor there. Schedule sets up really promising. I think Mason's going in the right direction when you're looking at big picture and the, the passing game in general with those, those young receivers, I think is getting more and more promising by the week. And, you know, I, 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 I hesitate to do this to some degree, because you can say, well, they beat the dolphins and the Bengals, but those losses all look like good losses now too. Right. I mean, you watch those two teams, except for maybe last the Patriots game. Well, they got blown up. Yeah. And right. But you're right. I mean, you watch those two teams last night. That's a, playoff atmosphere that was good football going on you look at what the Ravens are doing and the Steelers are really a bounce away from knocking any one of those three teams off so um they're I mean I think when you look back at the season you'll say wow that was a really successful year unless they crash and burn from here on out of course but I mean yeah I mean from what
1: we've seen and it's not even like they just came I mean obviously they did but it's not just like in a vacuum, they came up short against Seattle and against Baltimore. I mean, you had to play multiple quarterbacks in right. those yeah. games, Oh, right? by the in way, Seattle, right. Seattle, yeah. you have your franchise, the future Hall of Famer, go out hurt in the second quarter, and then say, Mason getting knocked out on the field right. against Baltimore. I
2: mean, those are difficult things to overcome, to right. say the least. Um, not to mention, I mean, Russell Wilson's playing an MVP level. He was awesome again last night. He really was. And I really think that – Outside the first quarter of that game was the best game I've ever seen Wilson play Was when he was here. Hmm. I mean, he was under such pressure and just upper level quarterback and got the the ball out of his hands out so quick. And you saw what he did last night. I mean, he's going to carve anybody up if you, if he's playing at the top of his game, you know, with Brady already did. And you're playing with the guy that you didn't expect to be playing with, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, There was a lot of talk, Matt. Well, I think from, from really OTAs and mini-camp last year, but certainly during training camp, when we were kind of, you know, in those times where you're really turning the page. You're kind of, you know, finishing out the the last chapter of the, the prior season and, mm-hmm. and getting ready for a new one. A lot of talk about last year, right, with the final record of 9-6-1. How, man, the Steelers were really just a few plays away. Yeah. Right. I know people uh,
2: got tired of hearing that, but they were
1: in oakland right? If, right if if you could a lot of things in that game but if you know if, if chris Boswell could have kept his footing maybe you get out of there with a win against denver a lot of things in that game but a little better ball security and you get out of mile high stadium with a win i mean that's new Xavier orleans
2: Grimble play is a very yes. rare one in a million yes. type and if that doesn't happen that day you win you know i mean i know people don't want to hear that stuff i apologize for interrupting where i know where you're going with it though i mean they really were a bounce away from hosting a playoff game. I yep. mean, they were half a game away from hosting a playoff game, and more than any season I can remember, the bounces didn't go their way, you know. And so that's that's, that's life in a 16-game season. I mean, if it was baseball and you had a couple of those, eh, so what, you know. You, 162. You, yeah. Right, they all even out. But in 16 games, they kind of got the short end of the stick, and the year before, you can kind of argue the opposite. You know,
1: right? They might. They were nine and two in one score games in right, twenty seventeen. Right. I
2: think that's kind of unsustainable too. I mean, these analytics people. I'm a big football outsiders fan. They all. They pretty much all say, just about any team is going to regress to the mean in one score games. You know, I mean, the the Patriots are better than most, or than everybody really over the last twenty years. But really, the they show that in one score games. Maybe you're 55% to the good teams, you know, but it goes back to the mean. And um, they've won a couple close ones lately, too.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And so I wonder, there's a lot of things I feel like are becoming – I don't even know if themes is the right word, but they're rearing their head again and again over, mm-hmm. the, over this last year or so, if you include this year and last year, the close games, the ball security in those close games, and –
2: Field goal kicking. Field,
1: yeah, special, special teams in right. general, too. Field
2: position. You know, like they had really bad starting field position last year. That's yes. People don't look about. Yeah, at
1: and, and part of that was because of the lack of turnovers from the defense. Yes. They're not giving and you the ball at the 40-yard the line or the 30. Your opponent's absolutely. 30.
2: Right, and a gajillion uh, special teams penalties. You know, they don't show up in the stats, but you're starting at the 15 all the time. I mean, that gets old.
1: Do you think – what they've gone through in that regard and seemingly like these past two years, right, playing so many one score, tight, close, mm-hmm. where the the outcome is coming down to the, the most minute of details. Do you think that helps them going forward over these last, what now, seven games where there's there's going to be an onus on you can't let that happen again, right? You can't have a, a fumble when you're driving cost you a game in these last seven games. You, yeah. you can't have... A, a poor, just a lapse on special teams, cost you in these mm-hmm. next seven games. It's it's time to really be buttoned up here going forward.
2: I think that if you play in a lot of those type of games, you do get better at it. Especially a veteran team. Um, ideally, obviously, if the offense was playing as well as the defense, you'd just beat everybody by twenty, and that's you know. But it's not, <laughs> rarely do these things intersect in the NFL. So most teams are playing a lot of tight games. And that's what the league wants. They want competitive football, obviously. But do you remember when the when the Broncos won the Super Bowl with that great defense a couple years ago and Peyton Manning just steered the ship? The, end, really of, the end of well. the Peyton
1: Manning era, yeah.
2: Like, uh, that was a that's an unsustainable model. I yes. mean, it's hard to even come back the next year and be – Look at the Bears this the, year. Exactly. Great example. You know, they had ton, tons of turnovers last year and their quarterback's holding them back. And I'm not saying – Rudolph's holding them back, but it wouldn't shock me at all. All of a sudden, Steeler Nation's feeling confident. Things are good. You look at the schedule; you can drop one to Arizona in a heartbeat. If you know, when you play this style, right? There's going to be one that they're going to say, "How can Tomlin lose that game?" Because he won't. And he's he's not going to get a bounce in every one of them. You know what I mean? Like when you play that style, there's a lot of room for error. Is my point.
1: It's a good point by you and I. I wonder how that translate over, translates over these next couple games because I think it's pretty obvious the Steelers' front half of their schedule was much more difficult than the back half of their oh, schedule. Absolutely.
2: Those four losses were against maybe the best four teams in the league or in right. the conversation. You know, right, four right. of
1: the top five, right, certainly, right. Certainly, certainly I would imagine. Maybe you throw the Packers in there as well too. Yeah, and the Saints. Or the Saints the, in yeah, there but, as well too. But they're too. definitely the, top, the top upper echelon. Going forward, are you more confident or more – pessimistic that the offense will be able to make enough plays where the defense isn't going to have to keep scoring touchdowns every game for the Steelers to win these one-score
0: games.
2: I guess I'm more optimistic. I think think people are hard on Rudolph, but I think he's coming along game by game, taking a step forward. Not an Andre the Giant step forward. (laughs) right? Yeah, but I mean he's taking a step forward. And that's promising. I think that's also true for Washington, Deontay Johnson. I mean, this is a two-way street if the receivers are letting down the quarterbacks, the quarterback letting down the receivers. Um, I think the line's in place. I think the coaches now have a better feel how to play football with this quarterback and this system without seven back there. But, man, I mean, one thing we didn't touch on, and I don't know that I trust him necessarily to stay healthy the rest of the year or anything, but I really thought... In that Rams game, they didn't have an NFL caliber ball carrier. I mean, not not that Jalen Samuels isn't an NFL player, but ball I mean, carrier. ball carrier. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot. I mean, if Connor's in that game, they rush for a lot more yardage. And I don't even think Connor's a superstar, he's a, a good back. Um, or Snell's in that game. They rush for a lot more yards. I mean, those guys left a lot of yards on the field. And I know there's a theory out there and I'm I kind of, you know, subscribe to it too, that running backs don't matter. You know, I mean they're low on my list of what I'm building a team around. Sure. But when you don't have one, it shows it shows big time. <laughs> right. And I thought that was a case Sunday, too.
1: Well, maybe some good news in that regard. Yeah, right, right. I, I, but I don't know if you saw this today. The Steelers released Darren Hall and re-signed, mm. what, seemingly for the half-dozenth half, do- half dozenth time here, Sutton Smith to the practice Oh, he's squad. back. He's like, I don't know if you've seen, there's that famous Simpsons gif, right, where the grandpa walks into the house. Hangs his hat on the the coat rack, mm-hmm. takes a lap around the living room, and then grabs his hat and puts it on and walks back out the door. That's been like Sutton, <laughs> yeah, Sutton Smith right, with the right. Steelers ever since you know uh, July or August, whatever. It Good to was. have you
2: back. <laughs> yeah, it last um, a week.
1: We know what happens when you assume, mm-hmm. but when you see them releasing Darren Hall and bringing back a linebacker, that makes me think that they're. Optimistic that they're feeling good about the health of, of James Conner and mm-hmm. then Benny Snell going forward here, and certainly as that relates to Thursday.
2: Yeah, I mean roster moves tell you a lot, and some, sometimes people don't pay attention to what's going on in the practice squad or the 53rd guy, those type of things. But it's important because it tells you a lot about the guys that are better than them. Right. <laughs> right. That people, sometimes people put, especially at the end of the preseason, fans put way too much fa- or way too much stock in. Who's that? They kept this guy. They didn't keep this guy. And then a week later, he's cut, too. You know, as soon as somebody gets hurt. But it does tell you a lot, their moves throughout the year, uh, what they think of the health of the dudes above them and whatnot, like you said. So that's definitely promising.
1: And I got to think, a guy like James Conner against a defense like Cleveland's, mm-hmm. this is the... Yeah, it was tough without him in the Rams game, right? And in the Colts game as well, too. You Right, right. Those are really two games that you felt like were kind of catalyst moments for the Steelers and where they fell in their schedule and their relations to the wild card picture and yeah. the division and all those things. You go without James for both of those games. I'm sure you did a lot of
2: this, too, but Dale and I often were like, they got to split one of these two. You know, yes. Rams-Colts. Right, that's I mean, the that same, same thing you, we were saying. Right. They, of,
1: they, the, of the stretch of Miami – uh, Indianapolis, and then Los Angeles at home, you had to win two of those.
2: Three. Yeah, and we kind of assumed the first one. So we, Yeah, right, right. But, yeah, I mean, that's exactly how we looked at it, and now they're in great shape because of it.
1: Much better shape, and you think even with getting James back, hopefully good to go, clean bill of – well, it's close to clean bill of health as you can be in November in the, in the sure, NFL sure. as a running back. It
2: does look like he's going to play, you know.
1: That's that's going to be a nice boost for this offense to Mason Rudolph, and and hopefully there'll be a, a nice you know trickle down effect there of sorts.
2: Yeah, I think this. A lot of it's also schematics for the defense too. Is now they got to honor the run a little bit more sure. too. I sure. mean, going into that Rams game, I picked Los Angeles to win because I just didn't know where the offense was going to come from. You know, like I didn't trust the backs, I didn't trust the passing game. Uh, I thought it was really going to be an uphill climb to score points against a good, not great defense, but some great players on it. Um, and it was better than I thought, but I thought oftentimes during that game, if they had Connor, this this one wouldn't be – it would be out of reach right now. Right, you know?
1: right. Uh, Mark chimes in here on Twitter. Ooh. Anything to Sutton taking reps at fullback previously with the team related to this move as well with Rosie Nix's status?
2: That's an interesting move, mm. I mean, because he was basically the backup fullback right. in camp, yeah. And I think Nix was missed in this one too. No I mean, doubt, there was definitely a time when it been nice to put Nix and Banner in the game and just pound away with Connor. And I don't think they trusted their running game or ball carriers enough to do that. So maybe that's a factor. I mean, I'm not at practice, so I don't know if they're even incorporating him there or or if he's even going to be on. He probably won't even be active on game day. Yeah. But uh, Nick's is out.
0: It's
1: an interesting angle there, yeah, by Mark.
2: It's a nice call there, Mark.
1: If you want to chime in on Twitter again, at Wesley Euler at Williamson NFL. That's how you can get a hold of us here for the next hour and forty-five minutes or so. Matt Williamson in for Arthur Moats. Wesley Euler with you here, as always, on the Steelers Blitz. We got a lot of questions here already. One, two, oh, three wow. questions on Twitter about Mason Rudolph specifically. So when we come back here, let's talk about him. Hit that hard. And you know Matt. Uh, Matt is a, a film junkie, and so I'm <laughs> sure he's he's watched some tape since Sunday. We'll get into uh, into Mason Rudolph when we return. Steelers Blitz on SNR.
0: This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. How
1: long can the Steelers' defense continue to win the team games? That's something Matt and I kicked around to start the show, and obviously that relates directly to the offense, what they can do, improvement that we've seen from them. And the big topic there, Matt, is, of course, the quarterback number two, Mason Rudolph. Uh, We got a couple questions here on Twitter already. Uh, Bo asking about Mason. Brian asking about Mason, but... (laughs) <laughs> Brian, nice compliment for you here. Oh. Uh, question about Mason: What are some of the pro- what's some of the progress you're seeing him making? I'm curious to hear Matt go into detail of this from his scouting perspective.
2: Where he's improving is that what he's asking me here? Yes, I mean one thing. This is how I've described Rudolph's progression in this one area: is I think last year he learned the difference between what's open in the Big 12 and what's open in preseason football? And you're pretty familiar. There's some open dudes running around. There's some open dudes in the Big 12. Yes, and that was a a difficult transition. Now I think he's learning quickly the difference between open dudes in the preseason and open dudes in the regular season. Sure. You know what I mean? And I know that they have been – a lot of people have been very critical of Coach Feekner or Tomlin or whoever, you got to design some shots, you got to design some some routes downfield. Well, the tape shows that there's a lot more of that than he's pulling the trigger. Hmm. And the Colt game aside, let's start with the Colt game. The Colt game, checked out my son, my 12 my 13 or 12-year-old son is sitting there watching going why don't they throw it to Samuels every time? They get six yards. You know? <laughs> right. And they, they Almost were like right. a Chargers game with right? James Conner. Yeah. I mean, he had 13 catches. And, you know, my, my son's pretty smart about football for a youngster. Chip off the old block. Maybe had something. That to, apple you know, doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like Mike, you know what? I mean, Twitter's going crazy that they're yelling at Rudolph because...
0: Throw it downfield. Throw
2: it downfield. But if Brady was doing this, they'd be like, Genius. what a master. You know? Genius. Because <laughs> the Colts D... Gave you that. And if you're going to get six, seven, six, seven... Just like the Chargers
1: defense, same thing. Yeah,
2: right. I mean, it's a long handoff. It's the most efficient play in football. So that Colts game, I thought, was very good from him. And a lot of people thought, boy, he was too conservative. And and I didn't. I, I just thought he managed it, took what people gave him. That's not sexy. People don't like hearing those things. But I also... Mike Fursuta and I do a show every Thursday. And last Thursday, Merrill Hodge sat down with us. He was in, in studio before the, the event this weekend. And he, and I hadn't, I hadn't done this in this capacity, going into the Rams game, he watched every Rudolph pass in order instead of, hey, I'm going to watch the Seahawks game, I'm going to watch the Bengals game, you know, whatever. And he came, there was 171 throws before that Rams game. And he said there somewhere between 10 and 14 of their deep shots, were a tiny bit off. You know, just a tiny bit off. Like he was one tenth of a second late releasing it. Was on the left shoulder instead of the right. Overshot by a little. Receiver slowed down. You know, it's not just him either. And he's like, and Meryl knows this stuff. And he said it really well. Like, think of what the narrative would be if they hit two of them. You know, right. You know, all of a sudden, it's like, wow, they're chucking it downfield, you know. And so they were super close on a lot of them. And that means it's going to come, too. You know, they have not – don't. i I'm not convinced that he's a bad deep passer or anything like that. So, I think those the shots are coming. The ability to decipher when people are open is coming. I think he moves well within the pocket, but he needs to get the ball out a little – Quicker, you know, a little bit more on time, and that was something I really praised him for in the in the preseason. Like when him versus Dobbs in the preseason was like, okay, the offense was clicking on time when the when the route right. breaks. It was night and day, right? And he still hasn't gotten to that point against the Colts and the and Aaron Donald. You know, he's sure. doing it against sure. guys that are insurance salesmen, You know, sure. So he's coming along.
1: I think so too, and I think it's even more maddening. It's harder to. I think we'd be singing a bit of a different tune, Uh, maybe not you and I specifically, but Mm -hmm. a lot of Steeler Nation and and fans and media and wherever you want to parse that line there. If the receivers could just catch the ball.
2: He's not getting enough help either. I mean,
1: how many of his interceptions have come off of the Dante Moncrief one as well too? And and he's not getting much help in the sense of he's making some good throws to Juju and to Deontay that would be – 12 air yards in a you know, 15, yes. 16, 17-yard gain, and these guys are just dropping the ball. I think, man, if, if he gets a little help, if the receivers can kind of get right in that regard, you'd look at it, we'd be looking at his stat line and what the offense was able to do against the Rams, and, and we'd be like, man, he's really coming along.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, if he had league average drops, right. or, right. you know what I mean? I mean, that doesn't mean that they catch everything, but... The easy ones. I mean, McDonald catches that nine Vance out of 10 too, times. too, yeah. You know, the, the Juju one doesn't turn into an interception two weeks ago. You know, and again, I mean, in a way, we're making excuses. It's kind of like, well, they needed one bounce last year, and they would have gotten the playoffs. You know, people don't like hearing those things. It sounds like you're being a a Steeler apologist, but you're kind of just analyzing what you see. I mean, his numbers. It's funny though, because sometimes I watch him and think, boy, he's struggling. You know, and at the end of the day. He has 240 yards. like, where'd they they come from? I mean, I don't remember them, but (laughs) a lot of them are late in the game, though. A lot of them are on third down. They're in clutch situations. So, uh, the one thing that kind of worries me about him is he's a little robotic. I mean, he's not a freelancer. Right. He's
1: regimented almost.
2: He's a paint-by-numbers quarterback. Yes. Which is fine, but he's not a free-flowing jazz musician. He's a play-every-note guy. I mean, you could... You know these things, but way better than I do. But I'm mean, sure there's different types of guitar players out there, right? Yes, you know, right. not
1: everybody is uh, the Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia. Right, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. Some yeah. of them are much more uh, Keith Richards Technical. and yes, Eric Clapton.
2: Okay, right. I mean, they play the notes exactly how you're supposed to play the notes, and I'm not making that as a as a Brady does too. Right, <laughs> <Just> stylistic
1: <laughs> differences. Right, that's right. why you have you know Led Zeppelin and you have the Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. Two different kinds of styles of music. It's mm-hmm. the same thing.
2: I'm sure when Zeppelin plays Communication Breakdown it doesn't seem, sound the same way twice ever. Right. You know, but if Clapton plays Cocaine 10 times in a row, like yeah, it's pretty much how <laughs> Right, wee, right, wee, right. Wee, right. Wee, 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 wee. So I th- <clears throat> I think he's more the Paint by Numbers quarterback, which sounds like he's a child, but it's just the style <laughs> of how he is, you know, like when he's if he hits I and mean, he's the next successor here it's going to be come to the line of scrimmage, manipulate the defense, know where the ball's going pre-snap, boom, it comes out, and he's not going to be all over him making Mahomes plays. You know what I mean? Right.
1: Yeah. No, that, that's a great way to put it. And I wonder, too, if there's just been some – because I don't think – it, it's fair to assume, right? I wouldn't call Ben Roethlisberger a paint-by-numbers
2: No, he's the opposite. I, he's I, got I, more paint-by-numbers as he's I, aged. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, but right. But deep down, no.
1: I feel like – that, I mentioned in the last segment, trickle-down effect. That's got to affect the offensive line, the receivers yeah. that are used to working with Ben, the coaching staff that's used to working with Ben, right? It's, right? it's almost like, I don't know, if you were used to cooking a meal a certain way, right, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you've got new ingredients. I think yeah, right, 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 It's been fair to, what, only six starts in his career, and again, one of those he got knocked out in the in the middle of the game. I think it's... No one ever wants to hear the two bad P-words, right? Motes and I always make this joke. The two P-words that everybody hates are potential, because we don't care about your potential. We want to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And patience. In the NFL, nobody wants to be patient. It's a 16-game season. You play one game a week.
2: I don't know if you guys have gone down this road. I'll get back to the quarterback here in a second. But potential and patience sure paid off for the Bud to Mm -hmm. pre-pick.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, there's projects in double, yeah, you that's know. Another, area, another yeah, right. word there. Some of these projects hit, you know, and yeah. if he wasn't a project, it would have been the first pick look draft. At a lot of it, the
1: guys on the offensive line. Yeah, right, right, right. Absolutely. and potential.
2: Right. Antonio he? Brown. Yeah, right. Six-round draft pick. So it's going to take time, especially as a quarterback. Um, what were we talking about with him, though? Uh,
1: painting by numbers. And how I think it's not just – him who's had to learn and mm-hmm. adjust and figure out his game. It's the rest of the offense and Randy Feetner and the coaching staff figuring out his game as well, too.
2: I mean, Ben versus Rudolph are drastically different players stylistically again. But an example I often use, too, is offensive linemen hated blocking for Michael Vick. Yeah, right. You would think right. that's great because he runs around. He makes my job super easy. Nope. But your back is to Vick. You don't know where he is. You might block someone right into where he's going. You have no clue where he's at. There was some
1: of that with Lev Bell when he first became a Steelers. Absolutely. When the offensive line was learning his game.
2: Yeah, like Wolf will say, they're just out there setting picks. They're not blowing anyone off the ball for Lev. They're just getting in the way, and then he's picking and choosing. So, there's certainly something to learning to play with these guys that have the ball in their hand. Like, everyone in the world wants to pass block for Peyton Manning because he knows where the blitz (laughs) is coming. He can't move at all. You know, versus Vic, and nobody wants to work, You know, think it's the opposite. You'd much rather pass block for Manning than Vic. Yes, and 100%. Ma- Mason could be the Manning mold. But, I mean, he's even a better athlete. But if he hits and he keeps progressing, he could, you know where he's going to be. He's going to drop to this spot. The ball's going to come out. He's going to know where the blitzers are coming from. I'm not going to block somebody into him. He's not running around like crazy. So, this is who he is.
1: On Twitter at Williamson NFL at Wesley Euler, Bo asks here: Do you guys think Mason took a positive step in his intermediate passing game? I do. Yeah, particularly do. again, like we just said, if the receivers hold on to some of those balls, his stat line looks even better.
2: Yeah, I, I think he's back to the original point. I think, but yeah, was, it
1: wasn't like the Colts game. No, it was. No, it was. It, there was much more vertical attack.
2: I often say this too because there's not a stat in the NFL for the throws you should have attempted and you didn't. Like, Alex Smith is a perfect example. Like, they design a route. It's third and eight. The 12-yard out is there, and he checks it at six. You know, and coaches lose their mind. Or some of the short guys. We could talk about Baker Mayfield. This is one of his problems right now. But even Russell Wilson early on, they don't see it. And there's a crosser that's open, and they just don't see it because they're short. Um, but Mason now, my point is he's now attempting in this last game it showed more. he's attempting throws he should make and where before he didn't see it or chose not to or didn't consider them open enough, you know now he's letting it rip when he should. And just think about this. like right now, well, it's a short week so it's a weird week, but coaches sit there on a the screen. For 100 hours, devising plays, scheme, all that stuff. They call the play. They get the coverage they expected. Cover two, whatever. Everyone runs the route perfect. And the running and the quarterback doesn't release it for where we devised. I mean, you talk right. about wanting to pull your hair out. Right. Like, like and you've I,
1: said before... There's no next gen stat that lets us <laughs> right, know. Right, right, uh, Juju Smith crosser. Schuster was open and Mason right. had him. He just didn't throw the ball, it, right? There's it, no stat for that. Yeah, you
2: threw the crosser instead of the post. You know, the, the post is right.
1: deeper right. downfield. And you it was locked there. on your first read when your second read was yeah.
2: three yards open. Like Tyrod Taylor's notorious for that. Yeah, he never turns the ball over and he makes some plays with his feet, but that's why he's not. That's why coaches move on from him because. Tyrod, it was there. You know what? I did my job. Everybody did their job, and you just got to put it in the hole, and you didn't. Quick aside, you know? are we yeah.
1: kind of seeing that from Baker Mayfield a little bit right now as well, too? Or is that too extreme?
2: Maybe. There's a lot going on there. They're not helping him enough. That's a much bigger conversation. I think he doesn't trust his scheme, his receivers, certainly his blocking. I know he's ultra-confident and super cool and all that, but I don't think he trusts his abilities as much right now either. Hmm. And what scares me about him as a prospect, or if you're from a Steeler perspective, it's not you, are excited about it, Wilson, Breeze, some of these short quarterbacks are exceptional athletes. Yes. People don't, I mean, Drew Breeze was, he beat Roger Federer or something in tennis. Like, he's an amazing athlete. And Baker is... Steve Young was that way too. Yeah. I mean, if you're short you're better i mean his baker's calling card is his accuracy and but he doesn't have a curveball right now he doesn't have the second he's a
1: four seam four seam fastball guy. Yeah. yeah
2: and yeah he is an accurate quarterback and it's that's failing him a little now too but if you can't see and the rush lanes are muddied and you're short you better be able to make things happen behind the line of scrimmage with your legs and he doesn't have that card in his
1: in his wallet and speaking of coaching, he probably doesn't have the greatest coaching staff in his, no. in his wallet either.
2: I mean, like a small thing on that regard. Like the, what they did that was so successful last year is they played a lot of heavier personnel. They, right. they, they played double tight ends. Njoku was healthy, which is, has something to do with it. But in the offseason, they go get Odell, and they, they want to play a lot more three wides. Well, Baker's not ready for it because the difference was – those tight ends would help your bad tackles sure. in the run game and in protection, but more importantly, you got base personnel on defense. You got less exotic blitzes. You got more predictable coverages, and now they kind of forced them to run before he could walk. You know?
1: Yeah, no, I like that. That's It's a good analogy.
2: And that, that goes back to
1: coaching. It does, and yeah. I, I think, too, that's – I think the Steelers deserve some credit in that regard with what we've seen from Mason Rudolph. Right. They're
2: baby steps. Yes. Yeah, right, right.
1: They're, they're asking him to crawl before he walks, mm-hmm. to walk before he runs, to to, to to jog before he sprints. Like
2: that Bengals game is a perfect example. Yes. You know, like
1: you can't maintain
2: – that's not going to be their strategy the rest of the year is running wildcat and craziness. But they got a win that they needed super bad. They took a ton of pressure off their quarterback, and they got, you know, the, the, they got the desired effect.
1: Haven't, well, we touched a little bit on the run game there in the first segment, but I want to ask Matt what he's seen from the offensive line, what he expects with James Conner back in the fold. And we talked a little bit about coaching there too. And, man, some blunders from Sean McVay on Sunday. Yeah, We'll get into all that when we return. Matt Williamson in for Arthur Moach. You can find us again on Twitter at Wesley Euler, at Williamson NFL. If you got any questions, comments, or concerns, you are listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR.
0: This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR.
1: I'm not breaking any news here when I say that expectations are different amongst Steelers Nation. No doubt. There are very few, if any, maybe the Patriots right now, I would say the Cowboys, but they haven't won anything since the 90s. No, that, right. There's very few fan bases in all of sports. You can open that up to any of the, the major four American sports who have expectations like Steelers fans do, like Steelers Nation doesn't, and, and like the Steelers themselves. Yeah, from, in this building too, from, right. From right. Mr. Rooney to Kevin Colbert to Mike, to the whole way down, mm-hmm. they hold themselves to that same standard, right? It was Mike Tomlin who was the one who coined the standard is the standard when he, sure. came, when he came to Pittsburgh a, a baker's dozen year, years ago. <laughs> And so I, I I know that that plays into this. On the other hand, right, in Los Angeles, it's probably quite the opposite. I mean, it's like Hollywood, the Lakers, the Dodgers, and the Rams yeah. are the Rams are maybe well down that list.
2: And the sky doesn't fall when they lose, and right.
1: Right. Whereas in Pittsburgh, every time the Steelers lose, it's you got to fire Mike Tomlin, you got to fire Andy Feininger, you got to right. fire Keith Butler. What's going on here? They, is, is they Kevin Col- has Kevin
2: Colbert lost it? Uh, yeah, it, it gets a little insane
1: Matt there were two things two decisions that Sean McVeigh made that if Mike Tomlin had made the same decision we'd still be talking about it in June at OTAs <laughs> one was the fake punt decision holy smokes which was just what what was going on no everybody in the stadium knew that, that was coming yeah you I... and I sitting I was in the studio in Green Tree you at home watching that game knew that that was coming
2: yeah I mean Every team prepares heavily for fake punts from the Rams because Hecker's a very good passer of the football. He's a good athlete. He can run. And it still works. I mean, the Rams, calling a fake punt for the Rams isn't necessarily a a terrible thing. But formationally, they basically put it up on the scoreboard. We're trying a fake now. (laughs) Right. And really, the crime to me, I mean, that that wasn't a great play. I mean, it wasn't a great play design, period. But the, the, the crime to me, What's Hecker doing? You know, throw it away, punt it. I mean, don't attempt the pass. It's a bad read there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the problem sometimes with trick plays, too. Sure.
1: You saw the same thing right when Jalen Samuels threw the interception against the Ravens. Yeah. To to start that game. Great point. Great
2: point. I mean, lots of times you'll like, we'll have Odell throw one. Well, Odell gets to throw two passes his whole life. He's throwing he's that thing throwing no matter that, right, right. He's not throwing right, it away. Right. He's, he's not going to take the check down. That's or, what Moats told me after the uh, Jalen really?
1: Samuels interception. Because yeah. I came in here all honked off, like, how could you open with that? And Moats, listen, Jalen, that's just, he wasn't going to throw that ball away. <laughs> right. He's going to make his, the throw. That's his opportunity to shine. Yeah, <laughs>
2: uh, and, and that's part of the problems with some of those plays too. You know, you got to have the right guy doing it. Heckers proven, but man, I mean, what an awful play that
1: was. And, and then the other one, the other decision. I don't know if you saw this, but he admitted yesterday that it was part of their game plan to put in Blake Bortles, that that wasn't an injury thing, that that was a planned thing because they thought Bortles could run on the Steelers' defense.
2: It's funny because I rewatched the game yesterday on TV, and I thought the same thing when it happened live was, okay, maybe you go into that game planning on giving Bortles a play or a series or a package, okay, which is an indictment on golf, but the Saints do it with Drew Brees. You know, I mean, Taysom Hill comes in. But there's no doubt in my mind Bortles entered that game because Goff got hurt. Hmm. So, I mean, Goff's side, hip or side right, or whatever. Right, you could see him a little he was a little ginger. Yeah, so maybe it was the best of both worlds. Like, I'm going to come out, so we'll do the Bortles thing and have him run. But, I mean, to me, that that doesn't kill me. Yet. To me, it's more of an indictment on your quarterback, and it was a little bit circumstantial because if Goff never leaves the field, I'm not sure Bortles ever sees the field.
1: What's your? That's yeah, true.
2: I have another thing though that he did poorly though. I, I don't understand why he got away from Gurley. Right. That was like the there was a point in that game. I think it was the third quarter where the Steelers had Chicolo and Bugs and Alu-Alu and those guys on the field. And the other, it looked like fatigue was setting in for the. Mm-hmm. There was a little stint there. It's the only time I thought the Rams offense had a glimmer of hope. And they were moving the ball four, six, you know, chunk plays. And I'm just thinking, man, I don't want them to give it to Gurley. And then they kind of got away from it. You know, like, I know that he's on a pitch count or whatever, but he was their best player on offense. He was their most productive player with a qu- struggling quarterback that you can't pass block for. That, that was their path to keeping it close.
1: Yeah, and like you mentioned, too, at that point in the game, it really seemed like the Steelers were making a lot of subs. They were getting a yep, little gassed. Yeah. Yep. And if you would have been able to just keep that, you know, keep those six, seven, eight-yard runs mm-hmm. coming and keep the Steelers' defense on the field, you keep wearing them down, you let your defense rest, too, in the process. Yeah,
2: and they went to hurry up. I mean, the, the right. Steelers couldn't sub. I right. mean, that, that's often what McVay will do when things are going poorly. They'll they'll play with pace and tempo, and it was working. I mean, it was the only time that their, their offense looked at all productive to me, and they kind of got away from it. I was like, what are you doing?
1: So where's your, uh, where's your heat check on Sean McVay right now, right? I mean, everybody knows the jokes, right, Matt? That Sean McVay, the last two years, he's been the prom king, genius of the NFL. Right. Everybody who ever met Sean McVay at Starbucks for a <laughs> cup of coffee gets a head coaching You know, all these jokes and everything. But he really, this year, it's seemingly like is, I don't even want to say showing any weaknesses, but it seems like some of the... The shine, some of the polish, has, has come off of him a little bit. He's a, a he's being questioned more now than I remember ever in the past.
2: Yeah, and I'm still a believer. He's an extremely bright young guy. If I was you know a GM and I was hiring anyone in the in the pool of coaches, he'd be one of the top contenders. Especially when you factor in his age, maybe you have him for 20 years like the Steelers do with their coaches, sure. and I bet that works out well. I also think he's in a crossroads because. It almost came too easy for him from the from the get-go. And now, and they saw it in this game, their offensive line is bad, and they lose their starting right tackle and their center in this game. And everything in that offense revolves around the zone running game, and everything comes off that. Well, the blocking's not good enough. I mean, the same thing's happening in Cincinnati. And one of his disciples takes over, drafts Jonah Williams in the first round. They got Glenn. They're, they try to address the line and it doesn't go well, and all of a sudden you don't win any games. You know, like right. like it, the, the players are hurting him a lot. But the scheme also has been sort of figured out. Like if you go back to the Lions game, I want to say it's right around week 10 or 12 last year. Patricia of Belichick Disciple came up with a, a the f- pencil fraud,
1: as I like to call him. Yeah, right, right. It just bothers me that he sticks that pencil in his ear. He's an annoying You got guy, a yeah. laminated play sheet. Why are you walking around with a pencil? <laughs> right. it's, it's not cool. You're not using it. It's not cool. Yeah, right. It looks like something, Matt, that, like, the senior, <laughs> the, the second semester senior in high school, right, who, like, thinks he's one of the cool kids but isn't really one of the cool kids. It's like yep. something he would oh, walk around with a pencil so in my where,
2: ear. Right. And, like, I loved Ben McAdoo. We were together at Pitt, but he was like that, too. Like, you know, like, just be yourself. But anyway, the, there were some defenses that kind of figured out the Rams' offense, and Belichick copied it in the Super Bowl, and it held them to three points. Right. So there's a blueprint out there, and the, the Rams are trying to change how they play football. Play, they used to live in 11 personnel with three receivers, and now they're playing a lot more double tight ends. They're not throwing to Gurley and the running backs enough, and the, the, the key is the run game just isn't there. The foundation is gone. So now McVay's swimming. You know, he's he's swimming upstream right now. And the other thing that's crazy is I – mean, you and I probably didn't talk about this, but Dale and I did going into this show, the Rams game. No team in the league is built like the Rams. They – and it goes back to your point about L.A. versus Pittsburgh. You know, just where the cities. Sure. It's Showtime Lakers. I mean, they want to – they stars. want every. They need stars, big
1: names, stars, yeah. sell jerseys.
2: Yeah, because that's why the only way anyone cares about them. You know, they need to be Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and trade first round picks for guys and don't let Goff and Gurley and these type of guys get away. I mean, there there's a lot of those jerseys running around the stadium. They're on the billboards, but they signed Gurley a year earlier than they should have, and I bet they regret it. Mm-hmm. You know, his knees aren't aren't holding up. They signed Goff to monster money. And you almost have to sign your quarterback, but he's not very Whew. good. <laughs> yeah. And they are they have no middle class. You yes. know, they they're gonna go five years without using a first round pick. Which is crazy. It's crazy. I mean that's right. crazy. They have a lot of third and fourth rounders, they get a lot of comp picks when Namakong Su leaves, you know. But they have stars and then they got a bunch of role players mm-hmm. but they don't have they don't have Vince Williams. They don't have Ramon Foster. You know what I mean. They don't have the glue, and so it's a, and that's not. They don't a, have
1: Mike Hiltons and Cam. Sutton's. No,
2: right, right. You know the, the role players, the tough guys. Javon Hargrave, right. And some of those guys bring up more of an attitude to your team too. They have to hustle to be on a team, and that hurts them. And that's not McVay's fault. I mean, I think that comes from ownership that that's how we're going to have to play in sure. order to be relevant in our city. Sure. And they went to Super Bowl last year. Like yeah. it could hit. I mean, yeah. they're still good. I mean, they got studs. But it's a weak foundation.
1: Turk in Alaska is fired up on Twitter. He says, still waiting to hear from the Tomlin and Butler haters. Tomlin even... Picking up on some sarcasm here. <laughs> Tomlin even made a disastrous call on fourth down. Wait, no, he didn't. How's Butler's defense playing? <laughs> and he puts the Hulk Hogan ear up, hand up to the ear nice gift to go with it. Uh, what did you think of that fourth down decision by Tomlin to go for it?
2: I, I can't lie. So when... When I'm sitting there watching it live, I said, go for it, go for it. So, you know, I mean, that's what I would have done too. I think you can easily second guess it. People would be killing them. It didn't, it was very clunky, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to say the least, you know, and it probably wasn't by the book. But I think once in a while, too, you can't just totally trust your defense either you know like
1: especially at that point they had been on the field so much yeah
2: I mean send a message to the team too that you think you can get a yard you know I mean I know the defense is awesome and probably the right tactical move on paper was it away trust your defense but uh, at, at that moment I would have went for it too
1: I like how oh,
2: real quick the, the, this this tweet I also love now people have been on Feekner this year. You know? Yes. I mean, of course, right. Butler's loving life. Nobody's, right. nobody's mad at him anymore. The come off of
1: him and moved on to Featner.
2: Right. And the thing here lately is, boy, his red zone offense and play calling is so bad. Last year he had the best red zone, uh, le- the best red zone in the league, or the best it's been in like twenty years. Mm-hmm. Same guy. You know, mm-hmm. I,
1: mean, I don't think it's coach. I don't think it is. I think it might be the quarterback, <laughs> the Hall of Fame quarterback that's not there, and the the 84, wide guy receiver with 84, and right. Yeah, yeah, it might be a little different. Who was just dominant in the red zone that, right. that eighty four guy?
2: Absolutely. And you know, Connor and Nick's so those guys haven't been available all that much. And yeah, I, I think it is more to do with the quarterback.
0: What
1: I loved in the. Aftermath of the decision to go for it on fourth and one there by by Mike Tomlin and company, we know. I started the segment with one right of the Tomlinisms. The standard is the standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you got red paint. You're going to paint your barn red. All these <laughs> things. So we cut our eyelids off. Right, all these things that that we hear from from Mike Tomlin. One of those Tomlinisms, right, is always we don't live in our fears. That's something he has said dozens of times. As the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers,
2: I love Tomlinisms, but I'm not sure I, I quite always understand that one.
1: <laughs> well, you know what my favorite one was. It came this year. and He said uh, Javon Hargrave, uh, being, a, a tr- a yeah, uh, being a traditional, yeah, being a traditional nose guard, uh, he better be like a blockbuster, or he better be like Netflix, not blockbuster. Yeah, he yeah. better b- better diversify <laughs> in the National Football League.
2: Absolutely, uh, that one is good.
1: But the same people, right, who ever since Ben went down. Have been screaming. Oh well, Mike Tomlin is living in his fears. That's exactly what he's doing. He's living in his fears. Look at they're throwing all these check downs. They're not running the, right. They're not throwing the ball downfield. They're putting handcuffs on Mason. Those same people are like, oh, well, what was he doing there? What are you? What is he doing? What What he was doing was not living in his fears. I right. Think. I think he's a very aggressive coach. Uh,
2: he's tr- that he's, isn't by the numbers. Yes,
1: I I really liked that because I kind of agreed okay. with it. At times I thought. But this is this also relates back to what you and I were talking about last segment with Mason. It was to be expected that they were going to take baby steps. And so if you right. if you want to label that as living in your fears, I don't know if it's living in your fears more as as much as it is just being realistic with what you got. You should be afraid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's never played before. But I think we're starting to see that curtain get peeled back, right? We're starting right. to see that Uh, that that leash get a little bit longer, taking more risks, not being afraid.
2: And I don't think they're in survival mode as much either, too. Like, the Bengals game was total survival mode. Survival
1: mode, mode. just get out of there with a win.
2: Yeah, and I don't care about big picture where now you're looking at it like – coaches don't always think this way. They think about winning the game, of course. But I think they're realizing for us to be a successful franchise, to be the standard as a standard – we have to play the. We can't just throw horizontally and right. run wildcat and do nonsense. Right. You know, we need to be more traditional on offense, and our quarterback's starting to be able to handle it. So let's keep doing it.
1: And Thrash Metal Guy points out here on Twitter as well. I saw Mason's pass chart. Only four passes were behind the line of scrimmage. The less, hmm. the, the rest were at or beyond the line of scrimmage, that's a a definite improvement from what we've seen in previous weeks.
2: Yeah, and it goes back to the Colts game. I saw that pass chart was going around Twitter a lot, and I actually retweeted it um, because they were all right at the line of scrimmage. But again, if Brady would have played the Colts in that game, his pass chart would have looked very similar because that was there, and it was stealing.
1: It really was. Mm -hmm. And and I think, too, right, like you said, the same thing was there in the Chargers game we talked about. Mm -hmm. It's so much of it, and I think, hey, it's – it's unfortunate, but at the same time, when you've got a defense this good, this capable, you can feel things out on offense, right? Like, you don't have to be Mike Tyson coming out in the first round knocking a dude out. Like, you could be Floyd Mayweather and you can bob and weave for eight rounds and then pick your spot. Nobody was criticizing Cowher
2: when they went fifteen and one in Ben's rookie year, and he's thrown eleven times a game. Right? You know what I mean? Like, coaching is here's all the like you said. Here's all the ingredients. Make a, a wonderful meal out of it. Well, throwing the ball downfield over and over and over and putting it in harm's way is not the best way for this team to win.
1: I, I completely agree with you, but I, I think too that you're starting to see again a yeah. little bit more of that open up. For sure, I would expect that to continue. Maybe certainly against the Bengals and, and some of these yeah. some of these lesser teams they got coming up here on the docket. But yeah, I, I do think it's encouraging and just on the surface, right, Matt, to be able to go from 0 and 3, 1 and 4, or uh, uh, 0 and 3, 1 and 3 to one and four to five and four now yeah as coach said irrelevant it's it, it really it is like he said too before the Rams game I'm happy to beat a four and four I never thought I'd say that like, yeah but
2: where they came from
1: sometimes you just got to find a way
2: yeah I, I'm with you on that
1: and and Moats knows this our our loyal listeners know this I like to say all the time people don't ask how they ask how many yeah and and, and the Steelers <laughs> have the Steelers have four wins in a row and that's very results based business. Very results based, as, as all sports are. As
2: all sports are, but and
1: particularly football with the short sample size.
2: Yeah, and last year it didn't look as good as their as their play on the field was, and this year it's kind of evening out. I've
1: told this story I think once on air before, but that line they don't ask how they ask how many. Mm-hmm. I was like 14 years old, and my hockey coach Fred Jacobs. I so still like remember his four name. years ago. Ha! Good, good, <laughs> good one. Um, we played a game, right? I was tied going into the last week of the regular season. I was tied for the league leading goals,
2: okay, with another
1: nice. with another kid. His last name was Rustin. I forget what his first name is, but I still remember his last name okay. because the whole year, you know, I'm checking the the website online to see what the goals leaders are. So we both had 22 goals, I think, coming into the last game of the season. Nice. We played. My team played right before his team played. I go out and I score a goal to move ahead to 23. Yeah. Right? His team plays after us. We stay to watch the game. He scores a goal in the second period to tie me. He scores an empty netter at the end of the oh, game no. to win the league scoring title. And I'm so, I'm all honked off. You know what I mean? I'm shooting fire out of my ears, and I'm like, that's bull crap, an empty net goal. Are you kidding me? An empty netter to win the title? Heck, yeah. And my coach looks at me, and he goes, hey, Wes, it's unfortunate, but people don't ask how. They ask how many. God. And he
2: got one more than you. Mario would have passed that to Erie <laughs> and let him put it in the empty net. <laughs> no way 66 is winning the the goal title like that
1: we got a bunch more questions here on twitter we'll get to those when we return at williamson
2: i'm not gonna sleep well night thinking about that
1: i know i was like a heartbroken 14 year old that's all i wanted was just one scoring (laughs) just one scoring title (laughs) on twitter at williamson nfl at wesley Euler, matt williamson he's in for arthur motes but you are Listening to Steelers Blitz. As always, our one in the books. When we come back here, like I said, we'll get to more of your questions. I want to talk about the offensive line and the defensive line in the trenches for the Steelers when we return. Matt Williams and Wesley Euler with you here. It's Steelers Blitz on SNR.
0: Euler and Moats are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24 7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio.
1: Good Afternoon, Steeler Nation. How are you? Well, that's good. Matt Williamson, Wesley Euler, with you here. Hour two of Steelers Blitz on SNR on Twitter at Williamson NFL at Wesley Euler. If you want to chime in, we spent a lot of time talking about the offense there in the yeah. first the first hour of the show. How All about right. that stiller defense, Mr. Williamson? Man, it's good. Just every week, it, they could and I think they couldn't possibly impress me more. It's like they continue to. to just ramp it up, take it to the next level, score points, suffocate the other team's offense. It's It's been a lot of fun to watch.
2: Absolutely. And I feel a little vindicated in that I remember in camp saying, I think this is going to be a top-10 defense. It could maybe even be better. That was pre-Minka, you know, and when the Minka trade happened, I was doing cartwheels about it where a lot of people were like, that's going to be the second pick in the draft. How can you possibly do that? I mean, and, and what an unbelievable impact player he's been. And just think of that for a second. Is how often do the Steelers get when when they build their draft boards every year? How often do the Steelers get someone that's in their top fifteen on their board? Close to never. Yeah, I mean, very honestly, very rarely,
1: close to never. And I you think, know when I think honestly, the last yeah. time that happened was was Cam Hayward.
2: Might be, sounds about right. I, yeah. I
1: think with the year he got drafted, they really had no inkling to take a defensive lineman yeah
2: but he's our guy he's better than everybody else but he
1: was I I know this for a fact he was I don't know about top 15 but certainly top 20 on their board and they ended up getting him at 31 yeah that was the year after the Packers Super Bowl I believe
2: and even at that point people with his body type three four ends weren't as they weren't as used as much so they right. fell because of right scheme fit where I, now I wouldn't. think
1: they had him 16 overall on their board something like that okay I remember hearing conversations at the time yeah yeah and yeah. they felt like we can even though this isn't something we've identified as a big need. like we can't pass up on this guy
2: yeah absolutely so well that's what brings me to Bush in minka is they traded to 10 and got Bush which tells you he was sixth on their board, you know, overall. Right. I mean, Daniel Jones wasn't in the top 10, you know, some of those type of guys. Um, so I'm going to be conservative and say he was their sixth sixth favorite player in the whole draft. They add him a couple months later. Minka went 11 the year before. And if you look at that draft class, I bet you he was higher than six on the Steelers board. And they – You know, they were not in a position to move up that high, and it's rarely what they do, as we know. Um, But so they, in the course of a few months, added two elite young talents at absolute massive need positions in the middle of their defense with elite traits. I I agree. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It's –
2: because real quick, I just pulled up it's the been 2018 been of, draft. Been, okay, yeah, and pull Mink, that up. Minka went 11. The guys that went ahead of him were Rosen at 10, McGlinchey at 9. Steelers wouldn't have picked Minka over those guys. No. Remember, they were in the safety and linebacker market. Right. Roquan Smith went eight. They probably would have taken him ahead of them. Josh Allen, no. Quentin Nelson's awesome, but they weren't in the shopping for guards at the time. Bradley Chubb's a really good player. He went 5th. Denzel Ward at, at four. Darnold, Saquon, Mayfield. I mean, those are the guys that went ahead of them. And maybe they had a higher grade on Quentin Nelson than they did Minka. But if the Steelers happen to have been picking fifth that year, there's a really good chance they end up with Roquan or Minka. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, so I, I think so, too. Think about through that light. You had two massive talents to an already good defense.
1: Yeah, and if you think, right, I think it's safe to assume, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but they had a top ten grade on Devin Bush. Oh, yeah. I, top, mean, I think top six-ish. Top yeah. ten grade on Minka Fitzpatrick. Absolutely. They haven't been able to draft one of those guys on defense since they got Rod Woodson at 10 right. in 1987. Right. Hey, right. You want to talk about – you make jokes about how young I am. That actually <laughs> was before I was born.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Back then – I'll tell you a quick story, that the Rod Woodson story. They had, The draft wasn't on the weekend, and I could have like 104 fever. I was going to school. My mom could go to school. But on draft day, I got to stay home every year. <laughs> <laughs> and for whatever reason i had to go in that year and i took this little transistor walkman radio type thing and i'm sitting in the back of science class and i'm listening to the draft it's probably hillgrove or, i mean stan or whoever and they took woodson and i erupted you know oh my god they got Woodson. you know like i knew how good he was then and he never should have fallen to 10 or 11 and one of my best friends now was in that class, and he comes running over. I remember we was totally disturbed biology class or whatever. What's a Woodson? What's a, you know, And we became right. really tight since then. Right. You know, like I coached him up.
1: <laughs> that was your boy. Yeah. You That's were with like the on only... the sidelines at Purdue. I'm pretty sure I remember that.
2: <laughs> but that was like the only draft I didn't. I had to go to school for.
1: Uh, well, maybe you should have gone to school for all of them. The Steelers mm-hmm. would have ended up with a player like Rod Woodson. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I thought. Uh, There's been a lot, obviously, Minka and Devin Bush and just a whole Stephen Nelson, a whole litany of guys who have played very well this year. Mm -hmm. Joe Hayden might have had his finest performance as a Steeler Sunday in Heinz Field.
2: He was great. I mean, it it definitely was his finest performance as a Steeler, And that's not a knock that he's been bad. Um, it, It amazes me before this game, we didn't hear Hayden or Nelson's name hardly at all, you know, like. I mean, that's a huge compliment. Like, it right. wasn't like boys, they're picking on Hayden, they picking on No, Alton. that's a good thing. It's absolutely a good thing, like a tackle. Um, and then this past game, you know, made big plays, got his hands on the ball. And I don't know this as a fact, but I've seen it over the years, and it really was true with the Ravens, with Ed Reed, and absolutely with Seattle and Earl Thomas, that when you have a stud in center field, those other 10 are going to take more chances. Like – okay, if, if, if I try for this ball, I miss it, Minko will help me out. You know, like I always called Earl Thomas the great eraser of problems. You know, like Sherman can jump a ball because Earl's back there. He right. has such range. Right. And it still might be a big play, but it's not going to be six. You know, like – I think they're realizing we got a special player behind us. Sean Davis was nice, but it's Makes not like everybody this. else more comfortable. It's like being on the ice with Mario, you know? Like, right, right. <laughs> I mean, like this is just such a or like being down on the by.
1: ice with um like Bobby Orr. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, if I get caught, we got Bobby on the back end. It's or you all good. a great
2: goalie, maybe. Right. You know I mean, it's probably yeah, really Patrick way to think about it. or Marty right, Brodeur is right. playing behind and you, and you're a defenseman. You jump up in the action because if yeah they get behind me, maybe less chance of them putting it in the net.
1: I made this parallel last week on the show. And at first, Motz gave me a look, but then he thought about it for a second and said, you know what? That's not too bad. Steven Nelson this year reminds me of Prince Amukamara, his last year in Oakland before he went to the Eagles. Okay. Just – or sorry, uh, not Prince Amukamara. Um, Namdi Asamoah. Namdi Sorry, Namdi
0: Similar um, crazy name. Similar
1: crazy name. That's right. where I'm getting tripped up here. <laughs> um, Namdi Asamoah. His last year in Oakland, he was so great that they weren't even looking to his side of the field. I mean, they yeah. played straight up man-to-man coverage and whoever Nomady was lined up on, they just he was like he wasn't even part of the game plan. So if you looked at his numbers, he didn't have a ton of PBU's, he didn't I think maybe one interception, he didn't have a didn't have a ton of tackles, but if you watched the Raiders play, it was clear that teams were avoiding that guy. And then the Eagles paid him all that money and asked him to play zone defense, and it was a disaster. But what he was able to do in his time in Oakland reminds me of what Steven Nelson is doing right now where he's not jumping off the page, making all these Mm -hmm. big plays, all these interceptions, crazy amount of tackles, but it's like he's being so quietly effective that other teams are game-planning around him.
2: there's a lot to decipher there, and you make some good points. And what what the Raiders did with Nomdi is what the Steelers are doing with their corners was – Like Sherman, he was a left cornerback. Yes, you know, and didn't matter who, what receiver lined up in front of him, everyone knew taking away that half of the field. Yeah, they played a lot of cover three. He was, you know, he'd come down and play man or he'd play off, whatever. A lot like Sherman did in you know the Seattle days, and you just go elsewhere. And I remember that was one of the early years, I think, of Pro Football Focus, where they actually were charting targets and things like that. Targets were kind of a new stat back then, and he was by far the league least amount of balls thrown his way. Then he goes to Philly. They pay him a ton of money, and they ask him to follow ones around. And, you know, sometimes he'd walk up in the box and cover that, the slot. That and, wide
1: nine defense right. that they were playing under Juan Castillo. They they treated him like he was Rod Woodson,
2: you know, or, right. or Dion. And he was a really good player, but he wasn't that style of corner. He wasn't Revis. Right. And what was really interesting, and uh, remember on Saturday we were at the, the Steeler event. Yes, the and, alumni dinner. Yeah, and, and we sat down, and we were talking about Donnie Shell with Grossman and J.T. Thomas. Yes. And one of the first things J.T. Thomas said was, Shell was so great because he could cover the slot even though he was a strong safety, and he allowed me to be a right corner and Mel to be a left corner, Mel Blunt. Huh. And, I, you know, I, I, I was five when those guys were playing. I just assumed Mel followed number ones, and he's like, I don't want to go to the left side. I hate the left side. Mel hated the right side. You know, like, people think about it, left tackle, slipping to right. Corners, some of them like to, pl- like to be left or right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. And it's a nice advantage that the Steelers have going now where they got a left guy and a right guy, and one of them's not a massive liability. You know, neither one's Nomdi in his prime or Mel Blunt. You know, like JT's like they always threw at me. <laughs> of course. But it's not like... Of course, you're going to target Sensabaugh. You know, you know where he's at. You're not. You don't. Have to, the defense doesn't get so complex because this is the thing people forget too. Like if Dion's following Jerry Rice everywhere on the field, ten guys have to adjust to where Rice is, as opposed to I'm a left outside linebacker. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's hard. It's easy for Dion to follow eighty around, but then everyone else has to react to that. They don't know where he's going to line up. You know, so being able to stick those two at left and right and do your thing and play your game like Namdi did in Oakland, now you're talking about something, you know?
1: Some more questions rolling in here on Twitter at Wesley Euler at Williamson NFL. David Kay here asks I know Williamson is a Quentin Nelson guy. I'm a Quentin Nelson guy too. Yeah, he's
2: really grown on me.
1: Can you can you ask uh, what he thought of Cam putting it on him in the Colts game, casually watching I thought Cam dominated him. Yeah, I did too. I thought that was one yes, of the, did. I thought that was oh, one yeah, of the yeah. biggest developments in that game and the Steelers being able to come out as victors is, is that they just, it was strength on strength in that regard. The Steelers front against yeah. the Colts offensive line and the Steelers won that battle.
2: It's something Dale and I talk about a lot is like when we look at the schedule and it applies to Thursday night is teams with weak offensive lines are in for a very long day against the Steelers, you know, like, the Rams, the Bengals, you know, these, these teams, and there's a lot of them in the league that have weak offensive lines. So it was a real test. To me, the Colts might be number one in the offensive line category. So can you still win that one? Can you still highly impact the game against a top unit? You're not, you're not beating up on the JV lines anymore. And they absolutely did. And Nelson's their best player. I think he's soon to be the best guard in the league. It's funny, like I saw Wolf and – I'm like, did you watch Quentin Nelson yet? He's like, yeah, I just watched their last game, and I expected a little more because the game before the, the Steelers, Broncos. he didn't play so great, and he didn't play so great against Steelers either. And then I saw Wolf later in the week. He's like, I watched like four games, and yeah, he might be my favorite player in the league. Because <laughs> you know, like, when I saw Wolf the first time, I'm like, is Quentin Nelson <laughs> your favorite player in the league or what? I mean, I thought of you every time. He's like, I just watched him. He was good, but I didn't think he was that great. And then later in the week, he's like, oh, he might be my favorite player of the week. I mean, yeah. He's a massive stud masher. That Wolf would love, and Cam ate his took his lunch money. He did. He did. I mean, play after play.
1: I mean, the the Brissett injury was a direct result of that, right? Like, I don't. Want to, I'm trying to celebrate the fact that a, a quarterback got hurt. That's not what I'm what I'm going. With. I'm mm-hmm. saying that the reason Brissett got hurt was because Cam drove him so far back into his quarterback that he ended up getting their legs got tangled, and that's right. what tweaked Brissett's knee. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, you don't see that that from Quentin Nelson.
2: No, no. I mean, he got ragdolled. And that play obviously stands out. But the consistency that Hayward beat Nelson throughout the game, too,
1: is absolutely true. And then that opened things up on the edge for Bud and TJ and for everybody else as well. I mean,
2: it was, again, trickle-down effect.
1: If you want to get your questions in on Twitter, at WilliamsonNFL, at Wesley Euler, When we come back here, Matt, I want to look around the league a little bit. Okay. Speaking of guards, there was one yesterday who got the biggest – a contract in the history of guards in the National Football League. I don't know. I'm sure you I'm sure you saw that. I don't think you know what I'm talking about. Here. <laughs> I want to run that by you when we come back, as well as a, a epic overtime game last night in San Francisco. And I want to discuss some some happenings around the AFC North with Matt as well. So we will do all that when we return, as well as get to your tweets again at Williamson NFL at Wesley Euler. Matt Williamson in for Arthur Motes. You are listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR.
0: This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Moats on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR.
1: Matt Williamson in for Arthur Moats today. <laughs> yeah, wait, I said that right for a yeah, second there. Did, for yep, a second yep, there, yep. I was like, wait, did I just say that backwards? <laughs> <laughs> Moatsy will be back uh, tomorrow on the program. Matt, of course, uh, for those of you maybe unfamiliar with his work, I don't know how you could be. Oh, but he, uh, he does a show with uh, Dale Lolly right here on these airwaves every day from 4 to 6. Four to the six. Drive on SNR. A bunch of great work on uh, Williamson NFL on your Twitter account. I know you do some writing. You do yeah, right all over the well net. And,
2: uh, Locked on NFL podcast I do every day too, which is fun stuff as well. So I've been doing this a long time.
1: I enjoy doing these shows with you, Matt. It's What's just a good? different – you know, we've all got kind of our own different perspectives and voices and things that we look for and how we watch and evaluate the games. And so it's always it's just refreshing. Right. Like, like you just said during the commercial there, like, wow, we only got two segments left. Yeah, it goes quick, quick when quick. you do
2: it with somebody new. I mean, like, I love doing it with Dale. We're a great team. But we're starting to get like an old married couple where – I can't imagine what Tunch and Wolf are like. Yeah. Oh. Oh. well, I,
1: I saw, saw firsthand you and Dale. What like the first six or seven weeks of the season? That was crazy. Predicted the same exact Steelers score prediction every game. Not yep. just like all oh, this Friday team show. wins that team. The no. same exact score,
2: exact numbers for like, like what
1: for the first six or seven yep. weeks.
2: It was six out of seven because okay. one day, one Friday, I wasn't there because I got a vasectomy. Gotcha. That's <laughs> why so I got that day off.
1: It literally got to the point. So it was really point. six for six. We're the last, before the last time that that happened, right, which I think was the... It's
2: two in a row now that we Ravens, haven't done it. Right? I think so.
1: Was the last time you guys nailed them as well, too? Right. Like the same... You, I had you guys. You guys both texted me your picks ahead of time, so that <laughs> so I could we be like cheating. the mediator right. yeah, to right, make right. sure that this was real. And sure enough, I get their texts, and it's the same score. <laughs> like, it is, though. No, it totally is, and that's why it's. Sometimes it's, you know, it's nice to just yeah, uh, a just little a, change a of little little fresher, yeah. yeah. And,
2: uh, and I'm sure part of it was Dale and I spend. 10 hours through from Monday to Friday. No doubt. And you talk each other into things a little bit. You bounce things back and forth. And, boy, their kicking game is going to be a problem. Hmm, hadn't thought of that. You know, you know you, you, but still, it was a little bizarro.
1: <laughs> it sure was. It was funny, though. <laughs> it was. And that's what, too, like, just, you know, from a outsider perspective, I think that's one of the beauties. Like, if I were a diehard Steelers fan, right, mm-hmm. if I were – uh, particularly one who's not that I'm not a Steeler I, I didn't mean to say it like that if I were somebody living outside of Pittsburgh right I understand why we have so many people who are locked into SNR all the time right so if Absolutely. I maybe not if I was a, like, uh, let me rephrase that if I was a displaced Steeler fan that was the d word I was go. looking for because okay. I think you know this a lot of the tweets we get a lot of the calls we get are from people in Texas and Florida and oh, we have Carolina, listeners all the over the Carolinas yeah, right. and in Hershey in Ohio and mm-hmm. you know I think there's a good balance on the station throughout the day, right? You tune in in the mornings, you get Tunch and Wolf, the two old fogies, the <laughs> ex-football players who talk about ham hocks and in the trenches. Lyman and, and You know, they've got all their jokes, and they've been best friends for 40 years, yeah. and they're fun to listen to. And You're certainly going to get a Chuck Knoll story you You're going to get Chuck you Knoll in the 70s and, and Mean right. Joe Green stories, yep. and, and they talk just about the steel. I mean, Tunch and Wolf... A little bit, you know, the day before the Steelers play, they'll talk about the other team, but they don't do any around the league stuff. They are Steelers, 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 Steelers. Mm -hmm. Then you get the Motes and I, and you've got the one former player. You've got the young media kid. You know, Mm -hmm. we've got the energy, and we do some goofy things on our show. Right, right, but it's up-tempo. We do Professor Motes Mondays, and we (laughs) do Best of the West Wednesdays, and Three Question Thursday, and Five Star Friday. You know, we do a bunch of funny stuff on our show. And then I think you and Dale do a really good job of kind of being a balance of both of those things as well as you guys do more around the league and more fantasy football stuff than the rest of all of us. It's it's a good balance of three different shows that, man, it can really fill your football appetite all in different ways.
2: Yeah, you know, like Dale and I will do a fantasy segment every show. So, you know, one-sixth of it is fantasy, but it also really spins around the league. And we do go around the league, I think, more than both of you guys do. Um, it's funny because... I'm sure you had this problem, but I talked to Wolf about it. I see him every Wednesday that there was that bye week Dolphins week where it wasn't easy to have a lot of stuff to talk about, you know, especially Steeler centric because they were on a bye. And then the Dolphins were coming to town as the worst team in the league. It wasn't like, boy, they can hurt you here or, you know, and and I remember talking to Wolf and like, man, it's been a a little bit of a difficult couple weeks to come up with stuff. And he's like, we 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 pull out our bag of tricks and tell old stories and you guys probably go around the league and talk about their teams like that's exactly what we did that's you it. know right so that's it's just it. different different strokes you know
1: but I, I think it's a good balance for the listeners you get a little bit of everything mm-hmm. like i said it's three different courses you know that are all related in their own way yep. but you know you're getting salmon, you're getting steak, you're getting <laughs> chicken you know like it's it's a nice it's a nice and they
2: all go together on the pallet too like i can sit here with you and with it's cool right. or hey if tunch joined dale and i right. or, i mean it'd be great you know right so it's good stuff
1: so with that, right, one of the things is I like to when we have you on. I like to talk some around the league stuff because I know you've really got your finger on that pulse as well as anybody who works in the Pittsburgh media. Brandon Brooks, the guard for yeah. the Eagles, we talked a little bit about Quentin Nelson, and, and obviously we know about good guard play here in Pittsburgh. David DeCastro, one of the best in the National Football League, four-year extension for him worth fifty <laughs> worth fifty-four point two million dollars, thirty million. In guaranteed money, the highest ever for a guard.
2: A guard. A lot of layers here. This is a good conversation. Yeah, how do you feel
1: about Brandon Brooks? He tore his Achilles in January. Yeah. Was able to come back.
2: Tough guy. I mean, he's a good player. I mean, he's one of the few that signed a huge deal leaving the Texans to go to the Eagles, and now he signs a second big one. Mm -hmm. So he's going to be a very rich man, and you know, not not everyone gets to get two of them. The couple things the in the in the preseason or in the offseason I wrote an article ranking what teams have the best big men and hmm. it was 300 pounders basically you know like cam hayward or bigger and I combined offense and defense the only team I had against ahead of the Steelers was the Eagles. Uh,
0: yeah. You know, Fletcher College. Particularly Collins and all ahead of the same. season. Right. I mean, it's
2: been the offseason. Yeah. yeah. And they had brought in some Morty tackles. Uh, I mean,
1: that's how they won the Super Bowl in 2017 with Nick Foles. That's where I'm they going. Dominated both teams yep. in the trenches. They're built both sides on big trenches. men. I
2: mean, they they believe that more than any team in the league, that they're going to invest in great big men on both sides of the ball. And for the most part, it's worked out really well. Um, is he a top five guard no, but he's a I don't think pro so bowler, borderline, I, you know, he's good.
1: You know, and not to cut you off, here, no, go ahead. but you know, I worked in the Philadelphia media for three years. Yeah, I worked for the Eagles flagship station for three years. I saw so many of my old co-workers yesterday, ah, best guard in the league, you got to give them that money. And I'm, like, I'm thinking best guard in the league. No, right. Hey, guys, come on. <laughs>
2: I mean, he's a good player. He's a
1: good player. Yeah, he's a good player, no doubt. I mean, I'd Come rather on. have
2: Nelson or Zach Martin. To me, Zach Martin's the best guard in the yeah, league. I would I'd agree. I'd rather have DeCastro. I mean? I, I, right.
1: It's funny you say that because those were the first three that right away I was like, I'd rather have those three. without right. even thinking about it. Right. I'd rather have those three. Then
2: I'd have to start thinking. But those are the ones that kind of stand alone. Um, but it used to be. Give the guard a million, he'll be fine. You know, like, you don't pay guards. Right. They were you paid down. your tackles. You paid your tackles because there aren't many 6'6 six, six guys that could do that, but there was a lot of six-one guys that could do it. But now, and this goes back to the Sears last game, there are so many Fletcher Cox, Aaron Donald, you know, home wreckers that make their living between the tackles. You can't be weak there anymore. And people are putting more of a premium on those guys. You know, like, why did the – how did the Falcons beat the Saints? Grady Jarrett, <laughs> Jarrett wrecked the whole thing. Yes. And, you know, the, these quarterbacks like a Brady that get it out so fast, the only way you can disrupt them is A and B gap pressure. You can't get home coming off the edge. So there's a lot of them. The lead, there's a more of a. Go watch a combine. It's amazing the 290 pound offensive, defensive linemen coming into the league, the specimens now. I mean, just the athletes. Yeah. So you have to invest in these guys. And. It makes sense, I mean, considering the team, considering where the player is, the need around the league. And as I mentioned before, Dale and I often go through the Steelers' schedule and be like, okay, weak offensive line, they're in trouble. There's 10 teams that are weak on the offensive line, and they're going to have to overspend in free agency or draft a guy around earlier than he should.
1: Like the Browns. Uh, and people,
2: yeah. I mean, it's
1: I – mean, You saw that with the Texans last year, right?
2: Oh, yeah. They,
1: uh, I feel like the Texans every year do that. They go, they take an offensive lineman that has a third-round grade by everybody else yep. in the first round.
2: So why they – so they're like, I'm, I'm sick of it.
1: Because we need one, and we got to go take one.
2: Take two first-rounders for Laramie Tunsil because I'm sick of doing this every year for right. guys that aren't good enough. And, right. you know, I'm, I'm wasting my picks anyway. Um, So – but that, then the next part of that conversation, this is the beauty of Munchak. Is the Steelers haven't mm-hmm. had to do that? They haven't had that problem at in all in a long time. I mean, if there's ten teams overpaying for linemen, and you kind of need one, well, that means you got to overpay too. Like they dry up quick. Yeah, Steelers really haven't had to draft a lineman in, in a while, especially high. Sure, you throw the Castro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. I mean, but yeah, I mean, you pick chooks up in the mid rounds or you know those type of things, and you and they're peas, they're projects, and, and we don't bring, like those <laughs> p words around here, Matt. Peas are okay if you got Munch.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it certainly is. You're right. You get anywhere outside of the Steelers bubble, an offensive line plays a real concern. And we right. that's like hasn't been a thing in Pittsburgh since 2008 when the Steelers won the Super Bowl and Ben was holding up the trophy going offensive line who's laughing <laughs> right, now? Right,
2: exactly. <laughs> I mean, I said this a million times going into this past draft that boy, the Steelers have an advantage that very few teams in the league do that they they don't have to draft an offensive lineman or a quarterback. Ben- Leaves a lot of positions where you get to where guys are going to fall into your lap. You know, it's a great way of doing business if you can. I guess the question is, how much longer does it keep up? You know, I think Ramon's slipping. Uh, I think they might be better off without him in the starting lineup, frankly. Yeah. Um, how long will Pouncy and DeCastro be high end dudes? And I don't know his contract status, but I bet Mr. DeCastro was happy to hear the Brandon Brooks news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's it's a difficult formula to keep moving. Unless you have Munchak, who happens to turn Finney, Filer, Hubbard, Villanueva, Foster from undrafted free agents to NFL starters. Munchak's
1: millionaires. Right.
2: So we'll see if that keeps up. I mean, I'm not discouraging the the new O-line coach, but Munch is a pretty proven dude.
1: By the way, David DiCastro signed for two more years after this year. So he's he's wrapped up through 2021. He'll be 32 by the time he's a free agent. That might be it then. That's a nice. That was a nice contract signing there by Kevin Colbert and company, locking him up at a uh, yeah, a nice rate there throughout the uh, throughout the tenure of his peak, if you will. Right. They're going to get the good years out of Yeah. It. Right. Yeah, and no, it's it's certainly you're right. Offensive line play across the league, it's a big concern for a lot of teams outside of Pennsylvania, especially. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. But but I say this a lot too that the discrepancy between D lineman down to O lineman is greater than I've ever remembered it in the league and a lot of yes. it a lot of its athletic ability coming into the league a lot of it is you used to draft a guard from Michigan and knew he could run block now they don't you know, nobody <laughs> right. they don't even put their hand in the dirt you know <laughs> just
1: go draft the big 10 lineman right. that yeah, guy will work
2: we'll teach him the protection but he'll maul people right. they don't even do that now you know like they're, they're none of them are close to being finished products
1: i wanted to ask you too about that game last night in santa clara
2: wow good one uh maybe one of the, maybe one, yeah. the best
1: this year that we've seen so far i think far. so yeah
2: right overtime two big time teams
1: I and a big shout out to uh, to Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. I, I took the Seahawks money line yesterday before the game. Yeah.
2: I took the over and the Seahawks plus six, and then I parlayed it together. Oh, nice! And so overtime was nice.
1: Nice. <laughs> yeah, I just I took the Seahawks straight up on the money line. And that's turned like nice. turned ten bucks into thirty one bucks. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, something yeah. like there that. You go. Russell Wilson MVP.
2: Yeah. I think there's a gap between him and everyone else right now. I do,
1: too. And everyone's trying to throw Lamar in that conversation. And I'm not being a Steelers homer here. No. I I, I just don't see it. He Lamar has been fantastic this year. That's not what I'm oh, saying. Oh, he's great. But he – they have a lot of cogs on that offense. The I, I Seahawks don't... have one cog on that offense, and it's Russell Wilson. I think
2: Watson's also in the conversation. They would be my top yeah. three. And I'm not sure who two and three would be between Lamar and Watson. But, but the, and the, so I'm not knocking either one of them. I mean, Lamar's remarkable for those that don't know. He was my number one quarterback in that class, even though he, he was fifth. I he mean, was. I was, you were high on him. Very. And I would hate to play against them. Um I think they're going to rule the division for a while. You know, it's yeah. a scary thought, but Wilson is an upper level quarterback. Uh, and by that, I mean pre-snap. He's maybe knowing the where best in, the, in the world right now. He is the best in the world right now, in my opinion. I mean, in, in he's the best deep passer. His legs are fifth on his list now, where three years ago they were second on his list. You know what I mean? Like, he's an upper-level, mentally-processing accuracy. Do you he's take him over back.
1: Aaron Rodgers right now?
2: Right now, yeah. Yeah. And it shocks me to say that, but yeah um Mahomes is still in the conversation sure. he's a little bit out of not, sight he, out of mind. it's because
1: he's not completely healthy right now right so that's a little different but. right
2: but wilson's having the better year yeah and wilson's further along mentally for sure
1: let's take a break here so we have time when we come back because i want to ask you a little bit more about lamar and the ravens i want to look ahead a little bit uh, to the browns as well too before we sure. get out of here and we got some more questions rolling in on twitter you know as always we will wrap up the show by answering some of your tweets. Matt Williamson, he's in for Arthur Motes. I'm Wesley Euler. You are listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR.
0: This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR.
1: Matt Williamson in for Arthur Moats today, and you said something there at the end of last segment, Matt, that I couldn't have on a time restriction. There was no minutes restriction mm. on this. All right, I mean, well, I mean, I guess there's like a like a 16 minute, 17 minute one now, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> I'll be quick. That Lamar Jackson is going to rule the division for the next decade or so. Do you really think this Lamar that we're seeing right now is going to be the same effect of Lamar five, six, four years from now?
2: That's a good question. I mean, it really is because. A lot of quarterbacks in the last ten or fifteen years, and I don't quite lump him into this, and that's why I like them so much: the Kaepernick's, the RG threes, Josh Allen, Cam. A lot of those guys had a cheat code for the first couple of years hmm. because of their legs. You know that, uh, it was, like uh, Shanahan was so brilliant. I mean, people want to want to you know praise his son and McVay. Well, they all learned it from Mike Shanahan. Yeah. And he was the first one that really used, not the first, but he used it so effectively, he put Griffin RG3 in the pistol, like Lamar is often. Tons of motion and um, play action where those linebackers would bite up just a pair and then it would have easy crossing routes behind them. So they were so afraid of his legs. It, it's kind of like what we talked about, Rudolph has these baby stepping. He can become a better passer, he can become a better passer, as we use your legs to still win a lot of games. You know, you're so hard to play against. But that transition has to happen. And in a way, it was Ben, too. Or, sure. I mean, Luck is a great example. A lot of these, I would say, at some point a quarterback, their brawn, their body, if it's their legs, their arm strength, whatever their tools are, have to give way to their brain. You know, where...
1: Carson Wentz, another example. Exactly. Yeah. I mean,
2: like Luck got his head beat in, and then finally got the ball out of his hands. And you know what I mean? And Ben went through that transformation. And Rodgers a little bit too. Absolutely. Used to and be more mobile. Yeah, I mean even Cam Newton before yep. his injury oh, last year. Certainly. Absolutely. And that's why Arians isn't here and they're investing in offensive linemen. Like it's all ripple. these guys know what they're doing. So is Lamar going to do Michael Vick things after three ankle injuries and at age 30? Probably not. But can he turn into Russell Wilson? He's a perfect there we right, go. Right. right. You mean like Wilson wasn't as good a runner, as scary of a runner as Lamar, but he was awfully dangerous that way, obviously. And he was a better passer than pretty much any of those guys coming out of school. He was a short. I mean if he was six two he'd been the right. first pick been draft. A, Yeah. Right. Top and ten.
1: Nobody pick. would have thought about that back then. I mean, it wasn't right. that long ago. And he, he wouldn't have ended up at NC State before he went to Wisconsin. He would have, gone, would have been wanted. at the Big Ten school <laughs> or the <laughs> SEC school right away. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so he's just a special player that's a couple inches shorter than he than people want, and people realize that that's not that important. So Lamar, I think he's a good passer. I went back this off season again. He was my number one guy in that draft class, and this off season I went and I watched every one of his throws just for fun, basically. And I I came to the from conclusion, his from his rookie rookie year, year. Okay, when everyone thought he can't throw, you know, I mean people weren't as high on him then as they are now. Sure, you know sure. what I mean and when he misses he misses ugly so there's it counts the same it's an incompletion if it's off someone's fingertips or if it bounces 4 feet in front of him but his good throws are still really good but his misses are really ugly so he's not a an upper tier passer but he's a better passer than his low lights indicate sure and there's also a stereotype with him i mean who are we who we no kidding no I doubt. Mean, a lot of no people doubt. just look at him and say he's an athlete he can't pass you know But if you watch him at Louisville, he was a really good thrower of the football. Mm -hmm. And I used to have Sage Rosenfels on my uh, podcast every week. And for some reason, they're buddies. And during his rookie year, Sage said, Lamar's having a really hard time adapting to the NFL football. I I rarely hear that, but it's not the same. Sure. And now he's a lot more comfortable throwing it. So that shows up. But he's never going to be Drew Brees. I mean, he's never going to be a high-level accuracy percentage guy. And... Uh, that's a good question. I mean, where he is in five years will be really interesting. You know,
1: I, that's, that's where I, that's what I struggle with. Um, I, durability is a huge
2: concern too.
1: I, I'm with you that there's a lot of misconceptions about Lamar out there. Yes. And I, I think in a way the durability is one of those things, Matt, because he's been a starting quarterback in football since 2015. Right. And he's run a lot at Louisville and at, and at, at Baltimore Ravens power, you know, power five ACC football Heisman winner. and, AFC North football. Yeah. He has hasn't missed a game due to injury since he started starting at Louisville in 2015. Yeah. That's the you know I'm like sitting on the fence here. So that's the that's the the, the you know the optimistic half.
2: Right. It's like Russell Wilson's like he's been short his whole life. He knows how to play as a short right? Boy, right? You know right. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly.
1: So a lot of times when people oh well yeah, you know, he's going to get hit a few times and then he'll be Michael Vick I'll kind of not even defend him, but I I don't necessarily agree with that. But then I look at the other side of the fence, and it's, man, a lot of these mobile quarterbacks, they're really good when they're 22, 23, 24, 25 years old. But then when they start getting closer to 30, and what I think is so big for Lamar is, I'm with you, the misconception about, like, he can throw the ball. Mm -hmm. But I think how dangerous he is with his legs – Helps him throw the ball. If that makes sense. Oh, the, yeah. The ever present threat of him being able to pull it down and take off and oh, juke yeah, around yeah. three of your guys and, and go for a 40 yard touchdown run like we saw against the Bengals. The on coverage schemes
2: are much easier for him than others. But once because... he
1: starts to lose some of that athleticism, mm-hmm. I wonder if that fear of his run game, right? And once that starts to dissipate a little bit and they have him running less and throwing more. If it, if it starts to become a little bit easier for teams to figure him out.
2: Maybe. Maybe. Again, he's going to have to be less brawn, more brains. At some point of his career, he's going to have to become an upper-level reader of defenses, pocket guy. There's just no way around it. I mean, because his, eventually his body's going to not fail him necessarily, but it's going to weaken. Um, his rookie year, I thought he was trying to be Rambo and took too many hits and trying to prove everyone he could play at this level. And he's very, very competitive, I mean, which is a great trait. This year, I think he's smarter about protecting his body. Yes. I mean, he slides, he gets out of bounds. He does. Much more. He's much better about it. And he's I not know... like
1: Andrew Luck or Carson Wentz in that regard. No,
2: right. I mean, or Newton who plays like Mike Allstock. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and they're bigger body dudes, but Wentz is paying the price. Luck paid the price, yep. you know. Yep. Um, but he also reminds me, it's before your time, but I think you'll get this one, of Wayne Gretzky in that – when I was a kid, why doesn't someone just kill Gretzky? I mean, it,
1: you can't kill he what you can't catch. Because
2: his vision's remarkable. Yeah. You know, he sees the field so well that nobody they, they get. – I'm sure you've seen other hockey players, younger ones, where they just see the ice too well. You know, With Connor McDavid right is now. Is he that guy? Yeah. You know, where people can't line him up for hits. They try, but he sees it, and he moves better than you, and you're not as fast, and, you know, it, Gretzky was that way too. Like, you just – he was tiny out there, and he was a skinny dude. Oh, they're going to break him in half. Not if they never, not if he sees you coming.
1: Not if you can't catch him. Right.
2: And one other note about Lamar, and this is going to sound really negative, but just a fact, is he's a low wonderlick guy. So does that mean he's stupid? No, it doesn't. I don't know him. I'm not friends with him. But if he has trouble learning or isn't – if, if he isn't a high mental processor – Sure. He's gonna have a harder time doing it. If he's the not Ryan transition.
1: Fitzpatrick out there.
2: Yeah, right. He would he'll turn into Ryan Fitzpatrick and fling it all over the place. You know what I mean? Like so we'll see. I mean that was one of the knocks of him coming out, was not a good Wonderlick dude. But he's passed every mental test so far. And in, and Louisville was a high level passing game, and he won the Heisman.
1: I just love how the pendulum for him, it's like the ultimate – Lamar Jackson has been the tailor-made sports talk radio debate topic, right? Oh, I'm sure. Because yeah. it's just from week to week, it seems like there's such a – you're completely on one side of the fence or you're completely – right? He's either – he is the next coming of the next wave of a great NFL quarterback and he's going to win the MVP mm-hmm. and he's going to terrorize the league for a decade – or he's trash. This is all just, you know, lightning in a bottle. He's going to get hurt. It's all like – Oh, yeah. It's, there's, there's very few people like me and you that are like in the middle of the pendulum. I like, think a everyone, lot of people – Everyone either thinks he's the next great all-timer or they think he's a one-year flash in a pan.
2: See, I think Mahomes is the next great all-timer. Lamar is a transcendent player. And your question's great is can it keep up? You know, that's when other things only decline. Con- that's my right? only
1: concern. I, don't, I think Lamar is going to be really good here for the next – but if they get five couple, years of him, it's still worth years, it, obviously. Right. right.
2: You know, being a super dangerous dude. Like, Vic was a nightmare to play against oh. for a long time. Um, but I do think a lot of people listening are like, ah, he's Cordell Stewart. He's flashy. He should be a receiver. You know, like, no, I don't think. <laughs> and yeah. Sears won a lot of games with Cordell, too, didn't they?
1: They sure did. It, you know. On Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at Williamson NFL. I want to get to Thursday against the Browns with you, Matt, as this is the only chance we'll have the talk before then. Uh
2: And I'm back Friday, by the way. I know, so we'll be able to break
1: it down. Um, I just want your initial thoughts on the game. And uh, a good friend of our show here, her name is Rebecca Litwinovich. She's the lit one. Okay. (laughs) Uh, She's a big big, big, (laughs) uh, fan of the show. She tweets us a lot. um, Wondering about the crowd in Thursday in Cleveland. It's going to be their Super Bowl in Cleveland. Right. And how you think that affects the game plays into the game as well.
2: Yeah, I think it's a real factor. It's it's a dangerous animal backed in a corner because there's a lot right. of talent it's a there. a good way to put it. It's a national stage. It's a very hostile yet combustible situation for the Browns because if things start bad, the dog pound could turn against them too. And so I think it's a, a dangerous situation. But this isn't exactly what she asked, but I think it's something that's very important is Freddie Kitchens has never prepared a team for a short, short like week like that. Like,
1: there's – Coming off an emotional win as well, too. Absolutely. They needed that one against the against the Bills.
2: Absolutely, and I give Labs a lot of credit. We were in the preseason, we were talking Browns, and he's like, look how many primetime games they have in their travel schedule. Like, Tomlin knows how to do those things now. You know, like, uh, that guy doesn't yet. And it's, it's an underestimated thing. Like, how are we going to practice? How am I going to deal with my injured dudes? You know, like – how do i get the game plan in how do i get installed you know so uh, that favors the steelers i mean having a veteran coach for little things like that well people think are little things
1: i could play it, it's huge it's, it's huge. huge yeah being an nfl head coach is not the opportune time to be learning on the job no, now we could say that. Oh, Mike Tomlin learned on the job. Okay, I mean he yeah. was. Well, everyone's going
2: to some. He was yeah. at
1: least a defensive coordinator for. Well, not like right. Freddie Kitchens, who went from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator to running head coach. A running back. Sorry, that's right. right. Running backs to offensive coordinator to head coach in the span of what? Like a couple months, three couple months, months, four months. months. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. By
2: like on like week six. There's learning on year. the job, and then there's learning on the job. Right. And again, that one—that's such a volatile team to take over. Like if any team needed a, a veteran head coach, it's that one because yes, it's yes. a lot of big egos. It's like assembling a fantasy football a lot of team.
1: Expectations, a lot of noise. Yeah,
2: it, it's a, exactly expectations. It's the first time that that organization's ever had expectations. That's a big deal, and it's a house that's beautiful, but the electricity doesn't work and the foundation's cracking. They have no. And, oh line. yeah, the
1: basement. Every time it rains, the
2: basement Floods. gets a little floody. Right. You know. So like. <laughs> not that I think that coach is in over his head and it was not necessarily even his fault. It was just not the right hire. They should have hired Mike Shanahan. You know what I mean? Like, or bring back McCarthy or something. Somebody that's been there and done it. That's where, and I think they're in a little bit of trouble, obviously.
1: Trenton asks on Twitter, Minka Fitzpatrick or TJ Watt, more of a contender for defensive player of the year award.
2: Wow. Well, Minka. Uh. Just because Watt, compared to Miles Garrett and other edge, his numbers are going to be about the same. Right. Where Minka could lead the league in takeaways by a lot. You know, it might be a more of an outlier stand out. Paper more. Right. Safeties have a tough time winning that award, mm-hmm. and I don't think he's going to.
1: Troy was the last one to win it. Right? Was it? So. It
2: wouldn't shock me. Um, it wouldn't. Sh- I don't think either one will win it, so don't get me wrong, but I think that they're on a pace to be in the conversation, and it's a really good question. But, and Minka's not going to get a takeaway every game. I mean, he's not going to end up with 16. Right. You know? well, I don't know, well, I don't man. Know. Right. I know. It's crazy.
1: Check your own pace guy. Say, here. I'll,
2: yeah, I'll say Minka, though.
1: Derek wondering if part of TJ Watt's success this year is a result of Bud Dupree bull rushing more, so the quarterback can't step up in the pocket and TJ can cut the corner much easier. Interesting. Yeah, probably.
2: There. Uh, I mean, one note that Dale and I have talked about a lot lately too is, I really think them flopping left and right when they did really yes. helped both Hugh, players a lot. You know that I uh, bet uh, Mozen talks about that. It's I'm sure. been
1: 25 games now since that happened. Has it? And they have in those 25 games combined 32 or 33 and a half sacks wow. since they made that switch.
2: And I'm not sure if you guys talk about this either, but folks, Bud played. The end of last year with a torn pec, the same injury the two. It's out for the season mm. for, and he was getting good last year, and it was harder to see because he was only playing with one arm. You know, so it's not like all of a sudden he's a flash in the pan. I also think a new position coach hasn't hurt those guys, no doubt. But no doubt, they do play off each other to answer this question. I mean, if if instead of Batman and Robin, if they're both really you know contenders, it makes the. There's a big ripple effect when you have several pass rushers as opposed to
1: one. No or doubt. Interior. And like you said, all these things work hand in hand when you've now got Minka on the back end and those guys feel right. even more confident and sure. secure with what they got behind them.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, next year if they get to it back to You know, like right. those interior guys, yeah, it's formidable.
1: All right. Last one for you here is we're, we're about 90 seconds from break. I don't want your predictions or anything like that because I don't want to steal your and Dale's thunder for your show. But just the biggest X factor, the biggest matchups, the the one or two biggest things that you think will determine the outcome on Thursday night.
2: I haven't given it a ton of of, of thought yet, to be honest with you. But if I were the Browns, I would just lean on Chubb like crazy because I think the Steelers are the better team. But as we talked about earlier in the show, they're not going to run away and hide from anybody. You know, like they're not going to drop thirty on anybody. They're not going to drop forty on you. They're not going to be up by twenty at half.
1: Unless Baker throws two pick sixes to yeah, Baker in that the first could, quarter. that could happen.
2: Something <laughs> like that. But tell Baker that every drive that ends with a kick is okay. You know, if it's field goal, chub, chub. You know, just keep pounding away. Because I do think the Steeler D, and we saw a little bit, and we talked about it earlier. You know, then when they play a lot of snaps, like any other one, they fatigue. wear down, and yeah. you know, uh, and Chubb is a great runner of the football. Remember, we were talking about ball carriers. I mean, he's in conversation as one of the best in the league.
1: I like it. How about not starting this game with a turnover too for the first time? Yeah, how about for, that? For the first time in what would be the four games. <laughs> and
2: they still win the turnover battle every week. It's insane. It's crazy. It yeah. is.
1: It really is. Like it's it's been a heck of a ride this year with this team, and I'm sure it's only going to continue. Matt, it's been a lot of fun. Thank yeah, this you. was a blast. And we'll do it again on Friday. Yeah, absolutely. How about Good that? Good stuff there. Arthur Motes will be back tomorrow, so we will talk to you then, thank. you. Uh, thanks to Matt for filling in. Again, you can catch him 4 to 6 every day here on SNR with Dale Lolly on the drive. Big thanks to our guy, Kellen, for producing everything back at HQ. That'll do it for today's show. Tomorrow, Best of the West Wednesday, and Arthur Motes is back, <laughs> so we'll talk the yinz as always. Same time, same place, high noon tomorrow on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio.